Now it's time for this. News Talk's Executive Chair. Thanks to Skillnet Ireland. Driving business success through innovative training and upskilling. And I'm delighted to welcome to the Executive Chair this week, Brendan Nevin. He's the co-founder and chair of the Code Institute and a marketing man at heart. Brendan, you're very welcome to the programme. Uh, thank you, Bobby. It's great to be here. Now, your career started, your illustrious career started in a shoe shop in Dunleary, which was owned by your father. Tell us what you learned there. Well, it was one of those classic uh, school part-time jobs, general dog's body. Um, but they're, they are great jobs because you learn how to rub along with all sorts of different people. Uh, yeah. to, to get up early on a Saturday morning uh, and to work hard. And were you from one of those kind of family businesses where you saw money being counted on the kitchen table and that sort <laughs> of stuff? Or, yeah, and, and, and again, if you were, if they were short-staffed in a shop, then you just you might send in a couple of the family. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, listen, it was a very normal, typical suburban kind of upbringing, uh, but dad's shop did loom large, I think, at times. Yeah. Okay. So off to... DIT, uh, TU Dublin, I think they call it now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what did you study there? Uh, I studied marketing, actually, yeah. or management science, as they rather grandly called it at the time. <laughs> um, but it was a great course, very practical. Um, the The challenge was, I guess, uh, like many others, I came out of college in the mid-80s. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard to explain to people now how literally there were no jobs. So did I. I, uh, I, no I graduated in 1982. Yeah, it was, it was, it was off grim. to America. Yeah, yeah, it was grim. Yeah. I was off to London. Yeah, so and, you went to London and, and again, you found your way into McVitie's, Biscuits, Bulmer's, some good brands and some good early experience. Yeah, well, that was the benefit of going abroad, wasn't yeah. it, really? Is that you got to work for just great companies where you learned so much. Um, and you got to travel about a bit. Yeah. Um, so it was a great combination, um, even if you did have to leave home. And did you work your way up within those organisations when you... Yeah, I went through the normal, yeah. um, you know, started in sales, uh, worked my way into marketing, um, uh, sort of a, a classic marketing product manager job where you just learn a lot about how to run a business and how to run a brand. Tell us then the uh, role that you had in Baileys in Eastern Europe and Central Asia between 92 and 95. Great experience. Yeah, well, those countries were changing very fast. And I was responsible for Eastern Europe and then the former Soviet republics. And we were really trying to launch Baileys and other drinks brands from IDV at the time. So, listen, it was uh, incredibly exciting because you were watching uh, a country change very, very fast right in front of you. Uh, challenging at times, but really terrific experience. One of the things I often am curious about is that, you know, when you go for an interview for a job and you've worked, and at this stage you'd worked in McVitie's, Bulmer's, Bailey's, how important is the place you've worked versus what you did there? That's a really good question. I think the... I think having those names on your CV in whatever industry you're in, if you can show that you've worked for great companies. I think what maybe it says is that you learned how to do things the right way. Yeah. Um, and you got some good training. And I, listen, I was really lucky um, because those companies provided great management training. Yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have got it otherwise. And then you went, joined Coca-Cola uh, in Ireland and even Greece. Uh, that was a great experience. Well, we ended up down in Greece uh, <laughs> after about five years, which was great experience because, again living in a different country, uh, quite a different business environment. Uh, our eldest child was born down there. 
Um, but we had to decide then, were we going to stay on an expat sort of cycle where you'd move all around the world for your whole career or come back home? And I think at that point I was keen to come back home because I'd clearly been doing a lot of travelling yeah. um, over the previous years. And how was it then coming back to a business like Aircom? Uh, you know, having worked with consumer brands. Uh, yeah, very different. Yeah. Um, much more complex products. Yeah. Uh, and I think, again, for somebody coming into a totally new industry, uh, you've got to work hard to catch up with your colleagues because mm-hmm. many of them have been working here all along. So you have a lot of learning to do. Uh, and I had to do a bit of catch up, I guess. And then the unthinkable happened. You joined banking. You became <laughs> completely a unthinkable in two thousand and three, <laughs> and you knocked what ten years out of it, nearly. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, completely unthinkable. I never would have imagined myself ending up there, to be honest. But listen, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, obviously some tough times, particularly towards the end. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. You were there right for the eye of the storm. Yeah. You... Uh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a proper crisis. Um, but listen, I learned a huge amount. I worked with some incredibly talented people. Um, both in Ireland and in the bank in the UK. Um, But to be honest, at that point, I was probably beginning to feel like doing something a bit more entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, When you work for big corporates, there's a lot of advantages, but you do sometimes feel like being a bit more of your own boss. Um, And that was where AA Ireland came about. And uh, I joined there as CEO. It was private equity owned, so very entrepreneurial environment, but very involved and committed shareholders. Um, and had a great 10 years. Um, uh, we took the business public in 2014. Yeah. I, I was part of the UK team at that time. Uh, and then in 2016, we did a buyout. So we bought the Irish business from the PLC uh, and transformed that, I think, into a, a really strong digital-led business. Yeah. And that was good to you financially, career-wise. And it when you left there, having uh, brought it private, hadn't basically... Uh, turned another trick there, which it was an amazing to see the valuation on that business. Well, listen, I'd like to think we add a lot of value yeah. to the business. Uh, we created value. Uh, you know, we grew the business. It was a terrific team. Uh, we grew the business, got into some new things. Um, that digital transformation was incredibly important. Tough going. Now, i got to say, any private equity CEO job yeah. was tough <laughs> going, and that was tough going. But what was great about it was uh, when we sold it, um, I, you know, it was... a a recognition of the great job I think the team had done. It was great to hand it over to new shareholders who I think will look after it. Uh, And for me, I think I probably got to the point uh, after 10 years there where uh, I decided another change of direction. Uh, uh, I I felt like, and for me, it was a chance to to spend more time at Code Institute, which was... uh, And we'll come to that in just a second, but before we do, could could I just ask you about... You mentioned they're working as a CEO in a private equity funded business. Yeah. Um, how important is it that the that the views and aspirations and I suppose, you know, end game is aligned between the CEO and the private equity? Because often it's not. Yeah, for sure. In other words, for sure. people yeah. want different sure. things, and the private equity tenure tends to be more short term. You know, they get in, they yeah. want to get out in five years. They want to double their money, uh, but 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 sometimes that isn't in the best interest of the business. Well, I think the challenge, you know, for the CEO is to try and get those things aligned. Yeah. Um, obviously, you've got to drive the the performance of the business. The shareholders are going to want that. Your own team are going to want that. But you've got to also think about the customers. Are we looking after them properly? You know, how are other stakeholders being managed? And if you like. Ma- 
drive the alignment with your shareholders. Yeah. Because you're absolutely right, Bobby. A lot of problems can come from that. But I think equally, um, when senior executives get involved in a private equity business or project, I think that they should know that. Yeah. You've got to understand what your shareholders want and fit that in then to a business plan that yeah. delivers for them, but delivers for the other stakeholders as well. Now, the Cole Institute, current business, and again, it might have been like you're starting all over again. It's a, <laughs> it, it's, 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 and it's nice to do that as well. You know? Yeah, so it really is. You're, you're, you're probably in a different place now uh, with less structure or with less reporting to London or whatever it yeah, is. So it, it's, sure. it's probably simpler in lots of ways. But again, you're, you probably are back at square one in, in lots of other ways. Well, I, listen, I think, you know, all CEOs, I think, you know, feel a commitment to their business and a passion about it. I think you have to. But I think when it's your business um, and when you founded it, um, as we did back in 2015, and I think my business partner, Anthony Quigley, who's a great guy, would feel the same way about it. Um, you feel very strongly about it and you really want to nurture it and see it grow. Um, Maybe explain to, to our listeners exactly what the business does for us, Brandon. Sure. First. Well, what we do is we provide accelerated software developer training. So how that came about was um, uh, Anthony had a background in education and we were looking at what markets in the education sphere could we disrupt with online education. And the market that really jumps out is software developer training because there's a huge shortage of software developers. Yeah. So in Europe, even pre-COVID, there were about 500,000 unfilled tech jobs. Wow. Yeah, it's quite astonishing. And can I ask you this, Brendan? If, if I'm, you know, looking at the opportunity in software development, I'm not a software developer, could I transition myself by way of an online course, you know, to become one and then make the leap? Is that something well, people can actually, do? That's actually our sweet spot, if you like. So our core market are what we call career changers. So they're people who've almost certainly been to college already. Yeah. They then find probably in their mid-20s that for whatever set of reasons, the career is not going the way they want it. Their current career. They can't go back to college. They can't afford it. Uh, they may have family commitments. Yeah. And what we can do is in about a year part-time, about 600 hours, we can convert them into an entry-level software developer. Yeah. And we worked really hard with tech companies to design the syllabus. I, so, I think that's really incredible because, you know, you can't be flippant about, okay, I don't like this job and I see all this opportunity. I'm not qualified for it. So there must be a way to transition to it. But and it's that's very difficult. Really, there aren't many ways. Yeah, yeah. And we were determined to find a way. Yeah, very clever. it's really important that we broaden access into tech jobs, that we make it more inclusive. Yeah. And that we enable people who, who cannot um, access conventional bricks and mortar third level to access the skills that they're going to need in that new economy. Yeah. And this course does that. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And how has the business been going? Well, we're really lucky. We've got a terrific team, uh, a great CEO, Jim Cassidy, and the team have really driven the business. So we've grown quickly. Um, uh, our, you know, average growth, we probably grow 30 to 40% each year on average. Um, this year, we'll have about 1,000 graduates that's um, great. Now, if you think of that as a number, the average university would have about 50. Yeah. Uh, so it means we're quite big. Uh, next year, that'll be more like 1,500 next year. Uh, and they're concentrated really across Northwest Europe, Ireland, UK, Scandinavia, Benelux. 
um, with some outside of that. So then you've got a, it's an international, so languages and all that, is everything taught through English? Everything is taught through English, but yeah. it is online and it's personalised. Yeah. Um, so the beauty of it is that uh, students can access it in their own time when they want. Yeah. But they also have support. So we've 24-7 support through mentors who are themselves software developers. Wow. And what we also do is we, tr- we can measure students' progress. So we know, for instance, that you know, if the two of us were to start the course at the same time, you'd find some things easier than I would and vice yeah. versa. So we target supports to where people need them rather than do it in, okay. a, in a blanket way. Well, listen, well done. It sounds like a fascinating business. One final thing before I let you go. I heard you've taken up the piano during lockdown. How has that gone? Even more difficult than software <laughs> development is all I can say about that, Bobby. If you could play it with one hand, I'd be Liberace. But it's the fact that you need to have two going at the same time. It's a bit of fun, but it's incredibly difficult. Well, listen, it's a real pleasure to meet you. The Brendan Nevin there, uh, co-founder and chair of the Code Institute, and a very, very interesting uh, guest today on the executive chair. Thanks for joining us, Brendan. And thank you, Bobby. Cheers. Cheers.